Praise God, everyone. How's everyone doing out there? Staying dry? Happy we're inside? Getting ready to hear from the word of God. Let's just go ahead and pray. Mighty God, open up our minds, open up our hearts, Lord, to receive your word today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So today I was, uh, it was kind of fun. I, I didn't have the best week. I got into a car accident and it was, it, it was great. Good experience. Uh, I, I hope everyone experiences one in their lifetime. Not really. But, um, but I, so I, I kind of wanted to go over uh, offenses in our life. You may be seated, by the way. Uh, offenses in our life. In, in Luke 17 and 1, Jesus says something pretty specific about offenses in our life that's, uh, that we can all agree with. That Then he said unto the disciples, it is impossible but that offenses will come. What does that mean? You're going to get offended. It's impossible for you not to be offended. But he said, woe unto him through whom they come. So what is he saying? He's saying, you are going to be offended, and woe unto you for when they come. And the reason why he says that, it's because woe unto you on how you respond to an offense in your life. How am I going to respond to when I am offended? Jesus says that it is impossible not to be offended in your lifetime. Someone, something is going to offend you, and there's nothing that you can do about it. Offenses are coming. It's probably already happened in our life, and guess what? They're going to keep coming. It's not over. It's going to happen again and again. You will not be able to escape the offenses of people. There is no way to avoid it. Somebody or something is going to outrage you. Somebody's going to insult you. Somebody is going to humiliate you. It's just going to happen in our life. In 2 Samuel 10, we have a story of King David. He was uh, <clears throat> one of the kings that were, was nice to, to King David, to actually Solomon, his father. And David knew of his niceness and, and of, their, of them being allies. And, and they were both great nations. Uh, Nahash was the king, and he, he had passed away. And so David, you know, much like if, if uh, an allied country in, in today's world, if one of their leaders died, we, we would send ambassadors or somebody of high rank to go and see um, who, or to go in and go to the ceremony. Even the president himself may go to the ceremony. So David not being able to go to the ceremony himself, he sent his two mightiest warriors they went to go see, to preside over the, the funeral, and someone got into the son of Nahash's ear, the prince at the time, the one who was taking over the throne, and he began to whisper a lie into his ear. And he said, the reason why David is sending his two most honorable, strongest soldiers is because the land is now weak because your father is dead, and they're surveying the land. And because they're surveying the land, they are looking to attack the land. So we must show that we are actually strong and that we are not like your father and that, and that they're not welcome here. And so what did he do? He ordered his soldiers to bound them up and to shave off half of their beard and, and to cut off the, 
the back part of their pants so that their, uh, their hind parts were showing. Now, these were warriors. These were men of valor. These were, these were you know, pretty, pretty scary dudes if you saw them on a battlefield. They were battle-hardened. I'm pretty sure that they would have rather have just been beaten to a pulp than having half their beard shaved off and then having their hind parts exposed. And so what we come to see in the story is that, is that number one, they were humiliated, they were offended, they had great offense on their life. Number one, shaving your, your beard, shaving half of your beard was, was a sign of messing with someone's manhood in the Old Testament. It was a sign of maturity, of, who, of, of, um, of warriorship. It, 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 was, it was being a man. And so their beards were taken care of, uh, and, they, and they resembled something that, that, that just was in the culture of being a man. So when half of it was shaved off, the, the, the offenders, they were messing with the manhood, the, the, the structure that was found within men at the time in the Old Testament. And it was shameful. You'll see this kind of over and over again in the Old Testament where they would shave their, or half their head, they would shave half their beard, and, and it was a sign of shame being put on their life. It was shameful. And then to top it all off, their, their hind parts were showing because the back end was cut out of their pants. This was humiliation. And that you were, and because of this, now they're, they're humiliated. And they have, I'm, I'm sure they wanted to take a sword and, and kill someone, but they had to walk back to the kingdom that they were, to David, to Jerusalem, to, to where they were. And they had to walk back through the crowds and kind of show what had happened to them. But before any of that could happen, David stepped out and he said to a servant, go out. And when you go out, stop them and tell them to go to Jericho until their beards regrow and uh and to recover over there their shame and and so that when you come in here that you're that there's no embarrassment for the people to see that there's no shame for the people to see that I'm trying to cover you and, and save you from the embarrassment of what happened to you and that's what David did and it's the same thing that God does in our life right he wants us he wants us to be covered from our shame he wants us to to not be embarrassed or humiliated. He, he, he wants us to, to be able to miss that, 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 uh, that feeling of just being embarrassed and exposed and, and vulnerable in, in that moment of time of, of shame happening in our life. And he will protect us. He will send us to a secret place, whether it be your closet or your bedroom, so that we can heal. So that we can heal from our offenses or the thing that happened to us. In Romans uh, 12 and 19, it says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Whew. Vengeance is his. Stay out of his way. Stay out of God's way when he's taking vengeance on someone. Now, I don't ever wish God's vengeance on anyone, but if God finds it just to do so, who am I? My only job is to love and to forgive. My only job as a Christian when it comes to, when it comes to an offense that happens to me is to forgive, no matter how great the offense is. 
Because a lot of times we'll hear, you don't know what they did to me. You don't live in my life. The offense is so great. And Jesus simply says, forgive as I have forgiven you. Because your offenses against me are greater, no matter how you look at it. And the way that you forgive people is how I will forgive you. So if you're not forgiving the way that Jesus has forgiven you, then guess what? You're not going to receive the same forgiveness that he wants to give you. He doesn't, he's not going to open up his heart unto you. He's not going to give you the, the ability to heal from something. A matter of fact, offense will cause you to do something completely different. It'll cause you to do what? Cause you to pull back, to withdraw, to protect, to build walls around you. That's what offense does. John 16, 33. And he says, these things I have spoken unto you that ye might have peace in the world, but ye will have tribulation. You are going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. What do you mean be of good cheer? I'm going to have tribulation. You're telling me I'm going to have bad days. People are going to offend me. I'm going to be put in situations that I don't want to be put in. But he says, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And through him, we have overcome the world. And because of his example set before us, we have no need to be offended when things happen to us. We just know that God has overcome the world and that because he has overcome the world, that he has never left me. He's never going to forsake me, that I am in his hands. And no matter which way my vessel is, is being blown, no matter which way my ship is being rocked, that God is there for me. And that I can only live the way that God wants me to live. I can only put in the Christian character that God wants me to have. And to, and to show people in this world that no matter what or no matter how devastating the situation. That God is there and he is carrying you past the fire. And he is carrying you to the promised land. And to your destination. Offenses make you grow. Believe it or not, the struggle in life makes you grow. Whenever I go through a situation, I, have, I now have experience in that situation. Well, what's experience? It's wisdom. When you see someone else going through the same exact situation who doesn't have the same experience as you, what do you do? You give them a nugget of wisdom. Like, look, this is what happened to me. It's probably going to happen to you because I know the end while you're at the beginning. And that's wisdom. That's all wisdom is, is knowing the end while you're at the beginning. Knowing the, the outcome and knowing how to get there because you have experienced it. Well, without the struggles in your life, without the, the hardships in your life, we will never gain those experiences. We'll never gain those, that, that wisdom that God wants us to, to have. You can't have a testimony without a test. We, we hear it all the time. You will be tested. You will be offended. And the way that we handle ourselves in our deepest, darkest moments is that what's going to prove our Christian character. And it's what's going to strengthen our Christian character. You're going to get offended. It's going to happen. The issue isn't if we get offended. That is a certain. It's going to happen. The question is, is how we respond to the offense. Matthew 24 and 10. And through 14. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Look at the progression 
when you become offended. You're going to betray one another. And you're going to hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and they shall deceive many. That out of offense, false prophets will arise within the church and deceive many. How many people have we ever, I mean, we have examples. You, you can see examples really at any church. When somebody becomes offended and they build their own false uh, doctrine basically from it and they try to divide a church. Well, how did that happen? The root cause was offense. When someone becomes offended and they leave the church and they try to take as many people with them, telling them whatever lies or gossip or, you know, it might even be the truth. It's just not Christian character. It, it's, it's, not about, it, it, it's not about taking revenge against a church or taking a revenge against somebody. It's about coming together and forgiving one another. It's about staying together, being united. It's not about the offense growing into something that is catastrophic or can become catastrophic to your life. It's about letting it go. In verse 12, it says, And because iniquity shall abound, lawlessness will abound. The love of many will wax cold. So within someone who is offended, and they don't take care of their offense, what begins to happen to their heart? It begins to wax cold. Well, what does that mean? Have we ever been in a place where I just don't want to feel anymore because of so much that is going on in my life that, and, I, and I've been, somebody has been attacking me or someone has, someone has come against me or a situation has come against me and so much is going on in my life that I just don't want to feel anymore, that my love has waxed cold. It all starts with being offended and it progresses. But, it, but he goes on and he says, he says, uh, in verse 13, but he that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all of the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. It's funny that he tells you how offense works. That many shall be offended, that they shall betray one another and they shall hate one another. And at the very end, he says, but the gospel will be preached in all of the world no matter how you feel. No matter how offended you are, it's going to be preached that your Christian character will prevail if you keep me at the forefront of your mind, in the forefront of your life. The word many here means the majority. Now look at the progression that we see. We, we betray one another, that we shall hate one another. If the offense is not dealt with, then we end up in betrayal and ultimately end up hating one another. And we, we see examples of that all the time. Offense leads to hate if it's not dealt with. And it's kind of funny because if we think of, you know, people who have offended us, people who have come against us or situations that have come against us, and we see when we don't deal with it how it affects our attitude, how it affects our spirit. We can see how, how, how we start to, in our, in our soul, we start to deteriorate. And we start to... We, we, we start to allow things in our life, and it opens doors and gateways into things that we would have never allowed in our life if we were putting God at the forefront of our mind. And when it, all it ever really took was one conversation with the individual, all it would have ever taken would have been listening to Scripture and saying, if your brother hath offended you, then pull him aside and have a conversation with him. That's all it takes. 
not to allow it to linger in our life. And that conversation, like, hey, bro, I, I know that this situation happened, and, and I just wanted to let you know that, that, that it kind of hurt me. And his response to you, probably nine times out of ten, if he's a, if he's a good, you know, follower, <laughs> would, be, it would be an apology. You know, it, it, and really, they don't even have to be a church member. Most people understand the idea of right and wrong. Like, it could be anybody in the world, and you say, hey, man, this, you know, this situation happened. And it, if, it ex, if it escalates, then you have to drop it, and you have to deal, deal with it with God. But most of the time, that person is going to be apologetic. And everything will be rendered right there. Forgiveness will be rendered right there. Everything will be rendered right there. And it feels like an entire weight has been lifted off of your shoulders because you dealt with the situation of offense. We all have examples of that, right? Nobody harbors this stuff? Okay, cool. I harbor sometimes. I'm just being human, you know? <laughs> it's like, I'll talk to you when I'm ready to talk to you. Let me fester for a little bit, right? <laughs> that's, that's how we are in, in humanity. When in reality... That you shouldn't even go to bed without confronting your brother about offenses. You shouldn't allow things to linger. In uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. So let's talk about this. What, what do, there, there are things that we put in our life when we become offended. I already talked about it a little bit. The, the one thing when you become offended, what do you put up in your life when you're hurt? wall we put up this metaphorical wall around our heart and the bible it, it doesn't say that that necessarily we we put up walls but what it does say is that we put up strongholds in our heart all strongholds all strong cities have walls and in corinthians we see for we walk in the flesh we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Pulling down of strongholds. That when we are not walking after the flesh, but we are walking after the spirit. If we are not walking after the warfare of our carnality, but walking after the warfare of the spirit, walking after what God wants us to do, he can pull down those walls, those strongholds. What do they do? They pull down the stronghold, casting down imaginations into every high thing that exalteth, that exalteth itself uh, against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity uh, even through to the obedience of Christ. What are strongholds? They are reasons or thought processes that we develop deep within ourselves that are contrary to God. That is the definition of a stronghold in the biblical text, in context. It is things that are contrary to God. It is thoughts and beliefs that are contrary to God. One of the, one of the major ones that I see in church is that for some reason, and it, and it all has to do with a, a lifestyle that you were brought up in that we have to untrain ourselves, is that people sometimes think that people are just out to get them, right? That for some reason there's a there's some sort of disorder there and it's just like everybody wants something from you and that they're out to get them. I see that the, actually the most. And, I, and it's just, I wasn't raised that way, but like a, a lot of people just have it embedded in them. Like, what do you want from me? Well, you know, are, are you trying to get something from me? And, and, and that's kind of something that I see that I, I kind of want to deal with here. And, and that's just not the case. And it's a stronghold within your life. 
Because it's contrary to what God has to say. Why? Because God says to give, to give, to give. So it doesn't matter what people want out of your life. It is to give. But because they have been hurt or because somebody has done something to them, they think people are out to get them. Why? Because the experience that they had in their past life or an experience that they had just in their life um, shows that, wow, people are just out to get me. This is the experience that they have. So what do they do? They go into protection mode, right? Start building those walls around your heart. You start building up, you start building up uh, protections and security and, and uh, defense mechanism in your life just to protect you. Now, I'm not saying all defense mechanisms are bad, but a lot of them are. Um, you know, a, a defense mechanism would be profiling. A defense mechanism would be to have an assumption about someone that you don't even know. You ever, when somebody walks into a room and instantly you don't like that person, has that ever happened to you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It happens all the time. The prejudges. That's a defense mechanism. Why? Because they are, they're a threat to your pride. They're a threat to you. For some reason, you don't know why or what it is, but, but it, that person makes you insecure about yourself. You don't know why. It just is. You know, maybe he's, you know, he's, a lot of times it has to do with looks, like, wow, look how pretty she is. Um, wow, look how chiseled he is. Um, it, it, you know, a lot of times that's just kind of how it works. And, um, and, you know, look at his flamboyant personality or, and look at her she's such a flirt and all this everybody seems to like them and all of a sudden it brings out your insecurities and all of a sudden you're you're comparing yourself to somebody else and you're offending yourself and you become the offender because that person has done nothing wrong except for existing <laughs> so so you have to be careful of the offenses within your life and understanding who you are what experience did i have that placed this stronghold in my life? What experience happened in my life to where I am insecure that I have to compare myself one to another because that is completely contrary to what the Lord says. He says not to compare yourselves one to another. Matter of fact, to prefer your brother over yourself. Lift him up in prayer. That's what the word of God says. So the moment that somebody comes in and you feel instantly jealous, or you feel instantly like, I don't like that person who just came in. That's a stronghold within your life. That is a wall that you have built. And you have to get to, to the core of that. And we have to pull down those strongholds. We have to pull down those defense mechanisms. So what are strongholds? They are the reasons and the thought processes, the experiences that you had in your life that you have built around your carnality. That are contrary to God. How many people here know that the word of God is rooted in the very nature of God. And that the word says that God is love. Not that he has love, but that he is love. One of the conditions of love is that we have to give, give, give. Right? Charity. That's love. That we give ourselves. We give ourselves. It's not about me anymore when I become a Christian. It's, it's, it's about everyone else. It's about servanthood. It's about serving the community, serving the church, serving individuals, serving people so that they can be saved. Just look at the life of Stephen. Matter of fact, one of the words that you see in the, in the Bible um, is the word deacon. Or, or, um, and, and when you see that word deacon or in the Greek, diakonos, uh, all it means is servant. That's all it means. 
A lot of people go off and they think it's something super extravagant. And you go to different churches and it means something completely different. It just means servant. You are just a servant. And that is exactly what the, the word of God. When you become a servant and you live in humility and you understand how to walk in humbleness, nothing could ever offend you. Nothing can. Why? Because I am a servant. And how do I understand how a servant operates or how to operate humbly? Knowing who I am in Christ. Knowing that I was saved. That my, my righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. That look where God had brought me from. That if, I, that if somebody comes to me and offends me, the only way that I could save him is by not being offended and being as kind as possible. Do we have any examples where, or how many examples do we have of us when somebody comes against us and you just kind of, you blew it off and you were just nice to the person and then that person comes and apologizes to you because they were just having a bad day. They were just, you know, something was going on in their life and they were just venting and coming out against you and in re and, and projecting on you. But in reality, the, the cause had nothing to do with you. It just had something to do with what was going on in their life. And because you responded in a kind manner, in a gentle manner, that that person came and they just said, sorry, man, I, I'm just having a bad day. And then they just lay it out for you and it gives you an opportunity to share Christ in their life. The way you respond means everything in your Christian character. So, <clears throat> when we come to the aisle of protect, 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 I have been hurt and I don't want to get hurt again. This makes us a candidate for betrayal. What is, what is betrayal? You know, we all think that betrayal has to do with what, G what Judas did to Jesus or Benedict Arnold. That, that, that's like the ultimate form of betrayal. But the definition of betrayal is real simple. I will seek my benefit for my protection at the cost of one I have a relationship with. That's all it means. I will seek my benefit. I will seek myself, my protection at the cost of one I have a relationship with. It means that because my mindset has shifted from give, give, give to protect, 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 that I will choose myself over the relationship that I have with someone else. I'll no longer give. I, 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 will, I will become a recluse. I, I will choose myself and my comfort over someone who is in need. If the betrayal is not dealt with, it will ultimately lead to what? Hatred. This is the progression of offense. Hatred in the Greek literally means loveless. There is no love. There is only hate. A place without love. A lot of people think that those who hate are very emotional. But that's actually not true. The worst kind of hate is the hate that Absalom had for his brother Amon. Because what? He did not speak good or bad about him. Absalom had the absence of love or any emotion at all for his brother. And that is the worst kind of hate that you could possibly have is pretending like they don't exist. Hate. The Bible says that if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. Don't even think about even having eternal life with God if you have hate in your heart for an individual that Jesus died for too. Remember, the way God forgives us is how we forgive people in our life. And if we are not forgiving people in our life, then God has a very hard time forgiving you. We, we see this, this illustrated in Matthew with, 
with the servant who owed the the slave master, he owed him a bunch of money, and then the slave master did what? He, he, he said, you're fine. It, it's, you don't owe me anything. And then that servant goes out, and he finds someone that owes him money, and he, says, he pushes him up against the wall by his throat, and he says, you give me money, or else I'm th- you give me the debt that you owe me, or, and I'm going to throw you into prison, and then you're not coming out of the prison until you pay off your debt. I never understood how that worked. How's the man supposed to pay off his debt if he's in prison? But anyways, that's what happened. So word got back to the slave master who owned or, or who, who released him of his debts and forgave him of his debts. But then he, he heard that, yeah, that, that guy that you forgave, he, uh, he went to somebody else who owed him debts and pushed him against the wall, threw him in jail and stuff. And when the, slave ma- or when the, the master heard that, he brought that man back and said, oh, no. That's not how this works. And he was punished for it. Threw him back in jail. He, he said, you're going to pay me everything. Because why? Because you couldn't forgive a man after I forgave you. You don't understand the principle of that. The way that we forgive people or the way that God forgives us is how we should forgive people. And the way that we forgive people is how God is going to forgive us. So verse 11, it says, False prophets shall arise and deceive many. Touched on it a little bit before. Offended people are the ones who split churches. Offended people are the ones who gossip. Offended people are the ones who try to get you to see their side. Offended people are those are, are, are the people who are cancers within, within church. If their offense is not dealt with, if you allow it to grow, if there's not love around it, if people aren't trying to help them in, in their need, or if they're not trying to seek active help, what, what comes out of it? False prophets. All a false prophet is is someone who preaches against what the word of God has to say. If someone says it's okay to hate your brother, that's a false prophet. It's something as simple as that. So what this tells me is that offense is a breeding ground for what? For deception. That when we become offended, we have a, that we become deceived easily. A person that is deceived believes with all of their heart that they are right, even though that they are wrong. And that's scary. How many people here have ever dealt with someone who believes with all of their heart that they are right, but they are so blatantly wrong, it's ridiculous, but you could never tell them that? I think we've all dealt with someone like that. I mean, I've probably been on the receiving end of that where I was wrong and someone's trying to tell me I'm wrong and I'm like, no way. I got it, okay? I know everything. Um, You know, we've all been on the receiving end of that and we've all watched people uh, act that way. False prophets in the New Testament are known as wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, I want you to notice something in the word of God. It never says wolves in shepherd's clothing. Everyone looking for a witch hunt is usually against the pastor or a man behind the pulpit when in reality the wolves are in the seats. Just a fun thing. <laughs> now there is there's something I've learned about wolves. They travel in packs and they find someone who is isolated and they try to feed them their deception. You can see that in congregations. That where you see someone who is isolated and you see a group of people kind of Go over to them and all of a sudden that person is in their group and that, per- and that group isn't exactly the best influence on that isolated person. 
And now all of a sudden they're a part of a group and their group becomes bigger. Those are things that you have to watch out for. These are things that the word of God tells you to watch out for, to, to deal with. Proverbs 8 and 18. It says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. When you isolate yourself, when you build walls, you seek your own desires all of a sudden. You rage against wise judgment. The isolation doesn't just occur physically. Isolation begins here in your mind. So when, so you can be a member of a huge church congregation and still be isolated. I'm sure we've all gone through a, you know, a, a time in our life where we felt isolated, even though we were around hundreds of people. You can still be alone. Verse 12, and because iniquity shall abow, abound, lawlessness will abound. The love of many shall wax cold. The word there is amania. It means not submitted to the authority of God. Where it says lawlessness. There's only one kind of lawlessness in the church. And that is what he's trying to explain there. It is not submitted to the authority of God. Or the authority of God in your life. I need to hurry up. So verse 13 it says. What he, or, but he that shall endure until the end. The same shall be saved. The person can hurt you the deepest. Or the person that can hurt you the deepest is the person that is closest to you. Psalms 50, 55 and 12 says, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear that, right? I can bear an enemy coming against me because it's what they're supposed to do. Nor is it the one who hates me who exalts himself against me. Then I could hide from it. But it was you, a man, my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God. Those are the people who hurt us the most. The people who are closest to us. The greater the expectation, the greater the potential offense. If, if, I'm, if I have great expectations for you, you are my good friend. So when you offend me, that offense is going to cut me and hurt me deeper than, it's, than if somebody who is just a normal guy. A person who cannot forgive is a person who has forgotten that they, what they have been forgiven of. We have to be very careful in the way that we take offense. Number one, the world is watching. And that person's salvation who is offending you may, lay, or may lie in the, in the way that you react to that person. The way that you act to that offense. If we could all stand. When I, when I was putting together this message a, a while back ago, you know, I, I was just coming off one of the greatest offenses of my life. And like how it completely messed me up and it started messing with my walk of God to the point to where I would pray shorter, to the point to where I would skip a day of prayer, to the point where I wouldn't read as much anymore, that I didn't want the things of God anymore. It had nothing to do with God, it had something to do with myself. Because I was offended. And everything that um, 
that was just taught today was, was everything that I actually went through. I, I started to protect myself. I didn't want the things of God. I didn't want the people of God. And it had nothing to do with God himself because he told me these things would happen in my life. And he told me how to handle these things. But when it actually happens, you know, when, it, when it's real life and it's in front of you, you're going to try and deal with it your own way when it, we know that our own way is not the way to deal with things. That God is always right. That if I would have just taken a step back and I would have looked at the situation and I would have been in the scriptures and I would have been in, in communication with God and understanding what God was trying to do in my life. Because now I am stronger from the offense than I was before I walked into it. And God will put struggles in our life. He'll put things in our life, situations in our life to test us so that we have a testimony for his greatness. And that we will be able to help people who are in the same situation as us. If we could just lift our hands, Lord Jesus, we love you, we praise you, we exalt you, mighty God. That we will keep good Christian character when things come against us, Lord. That when storms come into our life, that we know that you will never leave us or forsake us. That you will always be there for us. That we are Christians, that we are put here for a purpose of this world that is lost and dying and needs salvation. And the only way they will see salvation is through the Jesus that is inside of us. That we would respond in a way with love and with gentleness and meekness, Lord. That the fruit of the Spirit would be exuded through us, mighty God. Lord, that we would show this world what the church is all about. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray, amen.